What's up, podcast? First, we just wanted to thank you for all your support and your five-star reviews you've left on Google. If you haven't left us a five-star review, we would greatly appreciate it so that we can get our podcast, Stay Healthy New Jersey, to as many people as possible in our local area. My next guest is Nick Boba. So, as you know, I bring on people in the health, fitness, wellness area in our local community, Somerset and Union County, New Jersey. Nick, I've actually hired to be my golf swing coach. So Nick is the head pro at Hamilton Farm Country Club out in Peapack, New Jersey. And he has been trying to get me on a plan to become a better golfer. So I've worked with him personally. He was recently ranked by Golf Digest, the number four ranked golf instructor in the state of New Jersey. He's also a three-time All-American collegiate golfer and still plays competitively. So it's a wide-ranging interview where we talk about his own story. And then we also give you practical tips and advice on if you're a golfer out there, how to improve your swing, uh, how to practice, what are some courses, what are some mindset things, a lot of different things. If you were in the golf community, this podcast is perfect for you. I hope you enjoy. This is the Stay Healthy New Jersey podcast, aimed at helping you live an active and healthy life in and around Somerset and Union County, New Jersey. This podcast is brought to you by Strive to Move, located in Warren and Berkeley Heights. Strive to Move helps active adults in New Jersey get back to doing what they love pain-free. Nick, we appreciate you being here. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So you are my personal swing coach, trying to, we'll keep it PG, unmess <laughs> up my swing. Uh, I mean, we don't have to keep it PG, but yeah, yeah, yeah that's what we're working on. Um, I found you through Instagram, which you've done really well and just actually hit the 10,000 followers which is a big deal yeah thank you tell me about uh how you got into that the, the whole instagram thing um so probably three years ago um well no i guess really four or five years ago i found uh george gankus on just i was doing like a deep dive just into stuff yeah you know i was bored on a january day and i didn't have anything going on and I found some of his stuff and I saw he had a, you know, he had a pretty big following. What I thought was big at that time, it was like 5,000 people and he's posting all of his, uh, information on there. And I thought it was pretty cool. Um, and I think I had a hundred followers at the time. Um, and it's basically my friends, right? My sure. friends and family. And, uh, you know, so it kind of inspired me to, you know, put some of my information out there and, and shit like that. And, um, you know, so then it, it kind of took off from there. So, uh, you know, the the big kind of pushes I would get in following would come uh, from times where I was actually out with George mm -hmm. or, um, you know, I'd play well in a tournament and then he'd post something about it and then people would follow me and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and then I started uh, working with this guy in uh, D.C., kind of like a social media guru. and Yeah and talking about how you can build your business through all the different platforms. And the main platform for me that I liked working with was Instagram. You know, he, he kind of talked about Facebook and LinkedIn and YouTube and all this other stuff. But, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not the most tech savvy guy. So Instagram was always easy for me. Mm -hmm. So uh, taking kind of the some of the stuff that he gave me in terms of strategies and 
um, you know, kind of implementing those things. And I think a lot of it too is kind of luck. You know, it's like when you post and, and, you know, who sees it, it's, you know, the algorithm is so weird with Instagram. I don't think anybody ever really has an idea as to what exactly is going on. Yeah. And, um, you know, like I used to randomly have a post that one day would get 50 likes and the next day would get a thousand. And then the next day, you know, I'd post a video that gets, you know, 300 views and the next day it gets 15,000, you know, it's just weird. So, um, you know, the, the ones that get the bigger stuff are the ones that obviously help me and they kind of build it. And I, I kind of dove into Instagram cause I figured that's the best way to get my name out there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's, um, I would say probably of, of my clientele now, God, probably 85% is through social media. It's crazy yeah. to think that it's, that's, a, that that's the yeah. way the world is now. So, t- so it's like, I mean, it's insane. So I'll do like, it's probably literally 85% is from social and then, uh, word of like the other 15% is word of mouth. Yeah. And the, the, the 15% word of mouth, they go follow me on Instagram and then, then I get DMs of people saying, hey, so-and-so took a lesson from you. They found you on Instagram. I like what you did. Can we try to schedule something? Yeah. yeah you it's know, it's wild. It's wild. I mean, it's... It's wild. It's, it blows my mind. So I want to talk more about George, but before that, let's go back. Uh, you came from a golf family, correct? Yes. Tell me about that. Yeah, so uh, my dad taught my brother and I how to play. So I have a younger brother. He is the head pro. His name is Matt. He is the head pro at uh, Country Club of Charleston. Pretty prestigious. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a pretty neat place. Yeah, so they they actually hosted the U.S. Women's Open in 2019. Mm -hmm. So uh, you know it's a it's a big job. He's he loves it down there. They've been down there for uh, he's been at Charleston now for a little over a year, but they've been down in that area for gosh probably almost ten now. Mm -hmm. So uh, he worked at a place of session before that, and uh, you know he's making his way around. Right. But, uh, yeah, so my, my dad taught my brother and I how to play. I've got uh, baby pictures where I'm three months old in my car seat, you know, in the in the basket in the back of the car as my dad's hitting balls. Uh-huh. Um, he taught both my brother and I how to play. Uh, I mean, hell, every memory I have as a kid is us on the golf course. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. us on the, the driving range or going to uh, – driving to a golf tournament or um, – I mean, shit, I feel bad for my mom because my dad took all <laughs> took us to all those <laughs> things. Yeah. But um, but it's like it's what he loved, you know. It's like he he always used to tell me, he's like, uh, find a job that gives you enough freedom to play golf. Okay. Right? So every job he ever had, he worked to where he could play golf. And so he wasn't a teaching pro. He just he, no, he worked wasn't, a regular job and then he played. So he was, uh, he was, I guess, in the business when he was younger. Uh-huh. So uh, I was born in San Diego, and he was teaching at Torrey Pines. Actually, like he would just ra- he just randomly taught at Torrey like thirty five years ago, which is a beautiful, pretty prestigious. Yeah, course. it's a it's a you know it's probably one of the more famous public places in the United States for uh-huh. sure. Um, now I don't know if this is him just blowing smoke up my ass, but he told me that he gave Billy Mayfair his first golf lesson. <laughs> is that right? Like. Forty we'll go, years. We'll like, go with it. Yeah, like <laughs> probably fifty years ago. Yep. Um, maybe even more. Um, but yeah, so uh, that's what I tell people. I think it's kind of cool. Yeah. Whether it's true or not. For sure. But uh, but yeah, he taught us how to play. Um, 
he was a big time student in the game. He loved it. He read all the books. He was a big Hogan guy and kind of a big Sam Sneed guy. So like me seeing George's stuff, mm. uh, George is a big Sneed, Sneed fan. So yeah, kind of that's the connection. Interesting. What his, the way George spoke about things really connected to me because it's the way my dad talked about things. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's, it was kind of a nice segue at least That's awesome. kind of as my dad. So my dad passed when I was, uh, 17. So it was, you know, it's kind of nice hearing those things as you get older. And, yeah. Um, you know, it's kind of takes you back to old memories. That's crazy. Yeah. But you ended up going to high school in Illinois. Yes. And then from there you went, got to Methodist university and what is it? North Carolina, North Carolina. Yeah. I always laugh because when I, I did a little research on you, a little bit of creeping <laughs> and Methodist, you majored basically, you ever see those uh, NCAA commercials where it's like, there's 3000 NCAA athletes and none of them major in their sport, yeah. but you majored in your sport. I, I did. Yeah. How is yeah. It's, it's kind of funny. There's no other sport where you can actually major in. No. So, but you went to college obviously to play golf, but mm-hmm. you knew this is what you wanted to do. That's it's a pretty unique major. Now tell me about that. Yeah. So, so I uh, so I went to Methodist for their professional golf management program, and at the time I, th- I think I mean I think it still is it was the best one in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, they've had a hundred percent job placement rating in the entirety of the program, like forty years now. It's wow. insane. Um, but so uh, being from Central Illinois, I checked out which schools were kind of near me and I actually applied to Ferris State because they had the program as well uh-huh. got in there and my dad looks at me and he's like you really want to spend nine months a year in freaking Big Rapids Michigan I'm like I guess not <laughs> he's like you're never gonna play golf it's gonna be snowing up there all the time yeah. so I uh, then researched where I could play on the golf team as well as be in the program uh-huh and uh, because Methodist was division three mm-hmm they were actually the only one. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, Clemson, UNLV, Arizona State at the time, you know, all these big Division One programs that have the golf management program, you can't actually play on the golf team. Is that right? Yeah. Because, huh. so, now I don't know, this was this was 15 years ago, yeah, yeah. right? But um, the reasoning, the PGA, you have to do, at that time, you had to do internships every summer mm-hmm. at a golf club, a golf club or a course, whatever it is that you want to do. And so, uh, you're basically, your internship was June, July, August and Methodist started back school early. I had to be back like the second week of August. Mm -hmm. So if I played on a division one golf team, right. And let's say that they go to nationals, nationals isn't until the, like the end of June almost. Mm -hmm. So now you're missing your, an entire third of your, your internship. Right. Um, at Methodist, our national cha- championship finished in uh, the first week of May. Wow! So I was always uh, I was always at work uh, for my internship by like the second week of May, and went to the second week of August, and then went back to school. Do you, knowing what your job entails now, or what else you could have done with that degree, is it a is it a worthwhile degree? Or do you need that to do what you do? Um, that's a good question. I've been told depends, I ask good questions. Depend, <laughs> depends on what side of the business you want to be in. Okay. Uh, so the golf management program, it runs you through uh, all the business side of it, right? So I took I took golf classes, quote-unquote golf classes, like a, an intro to club fitting, um, a, rules not, a rules and term operations class. Uh, we had an intro to teaching class, kind of that stuff. Uh, 
but we had all the business classes as well. So econ and um, statistics and all that jazz, right? So there, it kind of gives you some of the application stuff for the outside world as well in mm -hmm. terms of running a business, which was good. But personally for me, going down the avenue that I went for just in That's terms teaching. of teaching, not really. I don't think you really need it. Yeah. I mean, if you look at, say, the some of the biggest names on, you know, Golf Digest list of yes. of of coaches. I mean, Butch Harmon, the number one guy in the country, is not a PGA member. Hmm. Gankus isn't a PGA member. You know, so it's like, um, what does it mean to be a PGA member? And let me interlude by saying, uh, we forgot to mention you were ranked number four in New Jersey this year, which is a pretty big deal. I mean, yeah, thank you. It's, yeah, that's awesome. I mean, it's, it's it's a good honor whether it's voted by your peers, right? Yes. Yeah. So I mean, I mean that's amazing. Congrats. Thank you. Thank you. It's uh, this was the first year I guess that I was nominated, so to speak. Yeah. I guess that I got a a vote from anybody. Mm -hmm. Um, and again, like none of that stuff comes from without social media. Sure. Like I I, I had uh I had several friends that I've met through social that have been on the list in the past and they're like, all right, we got to get you on, mm -hmm. which is kind of cool. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. So but what does it mean um, to be a PGA member? You talk about Butch Harmon and George not being, what is that? What is that about? So a PG, the, the PGA is, is it's, I'm pretty sure it's the largest sports organization in the world, mm -hmm. which is crazy to think about. Yeah. Right. But we've got 29,000 members. Um, it's basically an organization that, um, kind of organizes and promotes the game okay you know it, they they kind of give us the tools to uh to help us run our facilities how to um bring people into play how you know giving us innovative ideas as to how we can make things better at our clubs now the big plus to being a member of the pga is you get tournaments to play in mm -hmm. right so um like i know uh, George, who's not a PGA member, he loves to play. He wants to play in all these tournaments, but Can't. they're all run by sec the the PGA section. Yes. You know, so, um, you know, I've got probably 12 to 15 events I get to play in every year because of that. Right. Right. So, um, you know, a big part of what the PGA does as well is they run events for us. Got it. For the and professionals. For the, the professionals. Teaching pros and all that. The, stuff. the teaching pros, the club pros, the um, – apprentices you know basically anybody that falls under that pga of america um umbrella so again another piece of my research mm -hmm. three-time division three all-american yep no joke that's yeah. awesome thank you um and did you guys win a national championship when you were there uh we did not unfortunately because so. that i mean your schools won like tons of them right yeah it's got to run the show we had uh let's see we've done I think they've won 12 national titles in the last since 1990. Yeah. Um, and they've had the same coach. So he's That's been crazy. Uh, Steve Conley's his name. Uh, he's awesome. But he's been there for like 33 years, I think. Yeah. Um, won 12 national titles. We finished in my time there. We finished third, third, fourth. And then unfortunately, we had one oops a year where we played like dog shit. But, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the you know. thing, so the thing that's funny, and and other people when they're around you talking about your golf game, that's interesting. Is you are a three time college all American, so obviously you can play. 
But the way that when you talk about your old swing to like now, it's like you it's you might as well not even have played back then. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. tell me about your process, because again, someone that uh, you know, a collegial American, you're obviously better than ninety nine point nine percent of people at any level, but you talk about your swing now as being so much different, better. And, and what's changed in your game or take us through that. Cause I think for someone like me, who's like the, an amateur amateur is like, you know, what the hell, what's the difference? You know, it's, uh, it's funny. So literally a lesson I had an hour ago, the guy was asking me, he says, you know, cause we were talking about how long it takes to like progress and get better at something. And, you know, my game has really taken kind of a turn in the last say four years and he's like, well, what do you work on now? I was like, dude, I'm still working on the same shit that I was working on two years ago. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's not ever changing. You know, I, I work my ass off, but it takes forever, you know. And kind of where I was before, I never really had uh, – I mean, my dad taught me growing up, and he had a lot of those, it's like, same characteristics that I talked about that George teaches as well. But then, you know, I got to college, and – you know, I was working with somebody and, you know, they have their own philosophy. And then outside of college, another person had their own philosophy and then their own another person. So, you know, for me, it, it was trying to find the right path for kind of me and how I wanted to, say, move the golf club. Yeah. And, you know, when I look back at it now, when I see videos of my stuff from, you know, five and six years ago, I'm like, holy shit, I can't even believe I broke 80. Really? You know, just because... Um, you know, a lot of it was timing based. So when I was playing, when I was playing well, you know, my timing was really good and I could, you know, I could compete with anybody, almost anybody. And, uh, you know, my fundamentals weren't that good. My technique was, you know, so, so at best. And, uh, you know, once I kind of dove into George's stuff, I was like, okay, this guy like knows what he's talking about. Like I need to, if I really want to play the golf that I want to play, the rest of my life, like I got to do some shit to change. Yeah. And, and, so, and, and so you worked on that the last few years. Um, it's more than I, um, probably more so work in terms of with a purpose, mm-hmm. um, than ever. And, and a part of it too, for me, I was also never really taught as a kid or even in the college, like how you go about practicing, how you go about, um, trying to improve and the things I like I always just thought it was beating balls yeah because that's what my dad did right? right my dad beat balls for freaking hours and so I just beat balls next to him that's yeah. what I thought right you know and now learning so much from I mean through social through reading through all this other stuff how people learn and and stuff like that it's it's so much more about the quality of the time that you have yeah. versus the quantity and and that's what I've kind of taken to heart in my own game now because, you know, I might get, I might have somebody that's running 10 minutes late for a lesson, so I'll I'll get in 10 minutes, but I actually work those 10 minutes yeah. instead of just aimlessly hitting 50 balls or, you know, 10 balls, whatever it is. So let's get a little more specific into that for, you know, the golfer that might be listening. I go to the range all the time, and there's guys there, and 99% probably just beat balls, and they go there, and they're oh, yeah. spending their 10, 15 bucks, and they have fun for an hour. So in general, like, how would you want someone to approach it? You know, the thing with golf is that you could you could spend 10 hours on anything, putting, driving, short chips, long chips, mm-hmm. different lies, sand. Yep. How would you instruct someone to say, like, you know, okay, I'm going to the range for an hour. What, what the heck should I do? Uh, first thing is go with a plan, right? Figure out what it is that you want to do that day. 
most people, like you said, they go and they, they buy their bucket of balls and then they throw them in the slot or the, the little container that holds the balls and they just rifle ball after ball <laughs> after ball after ball. And they don't think about shit. Yeah. You know, so I preach, at least I try to preach to everybody that one, you go with a plan. And then two, let's figure out step two, what, whatever the plan is. So let's say you want to go on a particular day and you want to work on your backswing, mm-hmm. right? So then from there, you've got to figure out or you have to go back and run through some of the stuff that you've worked on in terms of what allows your backswing to improve, right? Whether it's your pivot, pressure shifts, arm structure, uh, club face angle, wrist angle, whatever it is, right? And then hopefully you have a couple drills or a bunch of drills, whatever it is that you can work on. So then what I would say is if you have an hour, I like to do, um, I like to have my players do like 15 minutes of block practice, Mm -hmm. right? So block practice is you are just solely working on positions. Um, It's kind of the more tedious stuff that at times sucks for people, but it also helps you change that motor pattern, Mm -hmm. right? So spend 15 minutes working on that block practice. Mm -hmm. Then I will say your next 15 minutes, um, and, and I should say the first 15 minutes where you're, you're grinding out positions, you're still hitting the golf ball, right? You're not just working a position and then not hitting the golf ball, right? So you're always going to hit the ball. Then the next 15 minutes, I would say uh, do like a, a group of two balls. First ball, you would do your block practice, practice swing, or however you want to think of it. And then your second ball, you're going to do like a, a one motion, slow motion. Right. And then from there, your next one, uh, your next 15 minutes, you're going to do the block practice, like freezer, slow motion. Then you're going to do a one motion, slow motion. And then you're going to do a normal shot. Mm -hmm. Right. You're going to do that for 15 minutes, hit a normal golf shot. And then your uh, last 15 minutes, you're going to get rid of all technique whatsoever. And you're just going to try to hit golf shots. Right. So you're going to hit. Uh, every shot though is going to be with a different club. I don't care if you hit it like a freaking tour star, or if you hit it like fucking shit, it mm-hmm. does not matter. Mm-hmm. Right. You have to, uh, basically teach yourself on the range to start to hit golf shots. Mm-hmm. Right. So you're going to hit your driver, then you're going to hit your eight iron, then you're going to hit your sand wedge, and then you're going to hit your seven iron. Then you're going to hit your four iron, then you're going to hit your pitching wedge. Right. And you're going to work through that. And then you work through that for 15 minutes. And, um, a lot of times I'll give my players games to play, right? So um, whether I want them to do a, a distance control game or a crossing pins game or um, whatever it is so that they're they're starting to hit shots that are meaningful, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. so that, you know, you kind of go full circle in that hour. You know, you do a lot within that hour. And the nice thing is it's not all the same. Like people get bored as shit when they just go and hit balls for an hour. Yeah. Right? By 35 minutes in, they're like, all right, I'm done. I'm ready to go home. Yes. So now you're breaking it up into four different distinct parts, doing four different things, still while hitting a golf ball, still while working on technique, but then you finish it by actually hitting real golf shots. How would you talk to someone that, you know, they work, maybe they play around every weekend, but they say, listen, I got two hours during the week. Um, you know, me and my dad always talk about this. He hates to practice, loves to play. If he had two hours, he'd rather go play nine. Mm-hmm. I actually like to go to the range and practice. Mm-hmm. What's the, is it at some point, do, should you just go play? Cause you got to get on the course versus, Hey, I'm, you know, me specifically, I'm trying to work on all these things when I get to the course. Like I'm not really, I'm just going to go hit play. So how do you, how do you talk about that? Um, that's a good, that's a good point. I think part of it is 
I don't think there's a right answer. Mm-hmm. I think it's totally dependent on the person, right? So if you're a guy that likes to go hit balls and work on positions and structure and stuff like that, that's what you should do. But be mindful that golf is also played on the on the golf course. Yes. Right. Um, I think if your dad wants to go out and just you know play nine holes in two hours and and or play as many holes as he can in two hours and and do his thing and and I think that's that has a lot of merit too. So the way I would look at it is um, one, you got to figure out what works best for you, and then two, whether you're the guy, the first guy that just wants to hit balls, mm-hmm. you got to figure out a way to work in playing time. Mm-hmm. You have to because mm-hmm. there's there's no substitute for actually being on the golf course. Has there ever been a time where you've really had to make some big swing changes with somebody where you like don't want them to go play because they're just going to screw up what you're working on? I've never told anybody not to play. Okay. So you always want them to get out there? Always. Always, always, yeah. always. And a lot of, I mean, that's easier to say with the kids that I have because kids are instinctual and they just they figure shit out. Mm-hmm. Adults aren't. Right. right? Adults are... Uh, at times more analytical and and if something doesn't go right on the first shot they're like fuck it i'm done i'm over you know i'm over it so and then they go back to whatever they used to do to try to get the ball to go where they want it to go yes you know versus yeah i mean there are growing pains as as there are with anything Mm -hmm. you know so um it's it's never uh, there's never a time where i wouldn't want you to play you want people to get out there always always and play always I mean, there's times where, I mean, I've done some, some say, I mean, I'm fortunate. I have people that'll come for two and three hours at a time. And there's been some stuff where we've done some dramatic things within the first hour mm-hmm. or the first hour and a half. And then, you know, they want to just sit on the range and grind for the next hour and a half to finish the lesson. And I take them on the golf course. Got it. Right. Part of it, too, is to switch it up. Like their brain needs to re-trigger or to, to uh, not re-trigger, but. Uh, kind of rework itself into getting out of just focusing solely on movements yep. and, and positions and say, okay, let's take the feels that we've created in our, in our session thus far and try to translate into the golf course. Um, I want to talk about, we mentioned this guy, George mm-hmm. a lot. I, you know, I think I found him before I found you on YouTube. He's people ask me about him. I said, he's the guy that teaches golf lessons and slides and, and a flat brim hat. Gucci slides, man. So he's, He's obviously kind of like stuck his middle finger up a little bit to the golf establishment, which I think a lot of people appreciate. Um, And it's interesting because as I look at it, it seems like what he teaches is quite a bit different. But he also says like it's I just go based on the player. But I will say I was at the range. I didn't tell you this. I was at the range two weeks ago and I was doing some of our drills and this guy walked behind me. He goes, George Genghis. So there's obviously (laughs) something to the stuff he's teaching that people know. What is it about? And so George was ranked the top 10 teaching pro. He's got now he's got Akshay, who was the top amateur, and he's got Matt Wolf. Mm-hmm. But um, he's worked with a lot of people. But what is it about what he does from your perspective that is different, isn't different, that kind of has, has, has changed the, not changed the game totally, but it's a new element that I bet hasn't been around. Or So I think where George, for, he's just a cool dude. Like, Looks he, like a skater. He's, I mean, that's yeah, the like he's like skater, surfer dude. Um, but he's smart as hell. He is a savant. He is insanely smart. Um, I've been lucky to spend some time with some, you know, big names in the teaching business, and they're all great. Don't get me wrong. 
but George like hasn't he just he sees it like he can see it and he can get the person to change and he can like literally get the person to change in three swings mm-hmm. you know it's it's he has just this knack for saying the right thing at the right time to that person that gets them to move to the way that he wants to make a change you know and um you know i kind of saw that through his social and then i saw it in person when i you know the times i've been out there and it's it's like it's freakish you right. know the guy is um what you see on social and and those platforms is who he is he is probably one of the i mean he's one of the like kindest like most endearing guys that you would ever really meet you know yeah. he i mean i've heard him on other podcasts and you know usually the 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 host is asking the questions and stuff like that and george like flips it and asks the guy questions yeah you know what i mean so it's like you can tell he's genuine in in everything he does and i think that's why so many people are attracted to him is right because he's real now you are a, a is it a george ganga certified instructor on the east what does that actually yeah mean? so um so i saw kind of a need so to speak for um kind of his information on the East coast, you know, uh, there have been people in, uh, so I used to work in New York mm-hmm. and there were people in my area that knew I'd spend time with them and knew I talked to them and kind of had seen that I had been implementing some of the, his stuff into my own game and they would ask me questions. And, and so I went out to California and asked them if he did any certification programs and, he said that he was going to, and he was working on it, and I kept bugging. He said, you know, get back to me in a month. And I got back to him a month, and he's like, I'm just, I'm too busy right now. And I kind of kept bugging him and bugging him and bugging him. And he's like, listen, man, just at this point right now, I just don't have the time to do it. I said, okay, no problem. So then I uh, reached back out to him like six months later, and he was going down to this coach camp down in South Carolina. And I went solely down just to talk to him about this. Mm-hmm. And I said, listen, man, there are... 10 million people in the Northeast that play golf, right? And there's a huge number of them that love what you do and want your information. It's just they might not necessarily want to fly to California. Mm-hmm. He's like, all right. You make, he's like, you're right. So uh, I said, now I want to be the guy on the East Coast that can help these people. Mm-hmm. He's like, okay. I said, the only thing is you got to certify me. He's like, all right, let's do it. So he knew that I knew his stuff because, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, everything that he's done on YouTube, everything on his, his old membership site, you know, I, I went through all that stuff, everything. Went through every Instagram video he ever did. Yeah. And, I mean, I knew his shit. So mm-hmm. he said, okay, you got to come out, spend a week with me. Um, and I, I want to see, I want you to see how I diagnose, how I go about doing things within a lesson and, and go from there. And that's kind of where we kind of where we went. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And that's how and, that all happened. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's neat because now, uh, if he does have somebody that, I mean, he's, he's, he's very good to me. I don't know why he decided to be so good to me, but I'm, I'm lucky, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, so now anytime anybody c- contacts him about something on the East coast, he always gives him my name. That's awesome. Which is cool. Yeah. 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 So for you, you've built this, business where through Instagram, you're at Hamilton Farm, which is an awesome place. Um, in your business or in your personally, like what, you know, what's the next step or what, where do you want to go? Is it teaching guys on the tour? Is that not fun to you? Talk to me about that. So 
what got me excited about teaching was seeing how George works with so many young players and then like helps them make their high school team and then they go to college and you know then they uh you know they're all Americans in college and they're turning professional and that type of stuff so Matt Wolf Matthew Wolf yep. um Akshay uh Spencer Seussman like all these cats that he has mm-hmm. um and like that was cool to me mm-hmm. so I've tried to you know I kind of have like I have my adult clientele that you know, I know they want to work and they want to grind mm-hmm. and, you know, but they don't necessarily have the time that the kids have, you know, and the kids are like my labor, labor of love. Mm-hmm. You know, I, if I could get, if I could have a hundred juniors, you know, that come in and, and I just work with juniors every day and like, that would be so cool, mm-hmm. you know, seeing them, um, progress as they get older and the things that change and, and how they're able to do things differently from year to year and, and, Plus, they're they're excited, like they're super excited, and they want to work and they want to get better. And um, you know, it's an insanely uh, competitive sport, especially when you're talking about going to college and stuff like that. So, you know, I kind of wanted to be the guy that helps them achieve their goals. Mm-hmm. You know, that's great. Yeah. Um, one thing I didn't know, I was surprised. You know, being in the Northeast, we always think like, oh, everyone goes to Florida or the Carolinas to play golf. And you said, no, 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 like tri-state area is the place oh yeah tell me about that the history or anything like that that i don't think most people realize i mean because that's why you came up here yeah how you got here from wherever yeah so um prior to being up here in the northeast i was working in the mountains of north carolina and then i worked down um in south florida at two insanely good places i mean i've been very lucky Mm -hmm. and so um it was time for me to move on. And there was a job that came open at this place in the East end of Long Island, Friars Head. And I had, I had never heard anything about it. Didn't know what it was. And one of the guys I worked with was like, dude, you got to go work there. They have a keg in the fucking golf shop. <laughs> like you, you go, you like, you get a, you get a drink beer all day. I'm like, okay, I'm not a big beer guy, but it sounds pretty cool. Yeah. So then I do some research on the club and it's this insanely cool place. And, um, you know, I didn't really know kind of what was up here until I got here. I was lucky enough to get this job as the first assistant at Friars Head at 25. And uh, probably had no business getting the job, but I did. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, as I get up here and I'm like, holy shit, like all these places were playing for tournaments. I mean, 20 minutes from Friars Head, you have Shinnecock, National, uh, Sabonic, Southampton Golf Club, uh, Atlantic, Maidstone, East Hampton, I mean, that's just in the, that's just, just east right there. of there, right? Yep. Those are all within 30, 30 to 45 minutes. Then you go western, you know, part of Long Island, you got the Creek, uh, you have uh, uh, you have the Creek Club, you have Piping Rock, you have Meadowbrook, you have Deepdale, you have all these insanely historic places. Then you go into Westchester and you have Westchester Country Club, which is like the mecca, I think, in this uh, well, that and uh, Wingfoot are like two of the best golf clubs in the freaking world. Mm-hmm. Like if I had, if I could join one place, it'd either be Wingfoot or Westchester Country Club. Two golf courses. It's phenomenal. Insane amount of history. Um, you know, so it's, I mean, then you get in New Jersey and you have, you know, places like Ridgewood and Plainfield and um, Baltusrol. I mean, Baltusrol. I mean, come on. You know, yeah. so, uh, you know, there is 
there might be more concentrated golf in other parts of the country, in South Carolina and, and Georgia and North Carolina and Florida. But when you're talking about like concentrated, unbelievable golf, like the best designers over history, you know, it's here. You know, it's, it, you, you just you can't you can't beat it, man. It's just it's phenomenal. What was it like living on the East End, Long Island? You were there for a while, huh? Yeah, I was there for five years. I I loved it. Were I you mean, there in the winter too? No, no. I was, no, say, I, was a, going on there. I was a twenty five year old snowbird man. So I would. Uh, this is cool actually because there's a lot of people who don't. I didn't realize this either. The life of many. You're a little unique and you stay here all year round now. I do now, yeah. Family. But tell about what your life was like back then. So um, I lived the dream, man. So I would. I was a I was a nomad basically. So I would work for six months in one place. Pack all my shit up, go to Florida. Mm-hmm. I was there for six months and then come back. So uh, when I was at Friars, uh, I guess seven months. So we had a seven-month season at Friars Head. Then I would pack all my stuff up. I'd go down to Palm Beach, and then I would play mini-tour stuff all winter. Mm-hmm. Like I was I was lucky. I got some some help from the membership there at, at Friars Head. And, I mean, I didn't work. I literally I only worked on my game. I played probably from – Basically, middle of November to April 1, every year, I probably played 60 tournament rounds. I mean, I played in everything I could possibly play in. And uh, they loved it. Like, this yeah. is also the only part of the United States where, like, a golf pro is a real golf pro. You can like, make a living doing it. You teach. You play. Like, the clubs want you to play. Right. You know, it's like Hamilton Farm and Friarshead, they, I mean, they pay for my entry fees in all of our section events because mm-hmm. they want me to go play. Why? Because they want, they they want, well, it looks good for the club. You know, they want the club to be represented in these, these events. And And you won a few events a year ago, two years ago? uh, In 2018, I won our, the clam bake, which Mm -hmm. is like our first major of the year. Mm -hmm. And then I won the uh, fall finale, which is our kind of like quote unquote tournament champions type thing. Yeah. And so you're going up all against the other club pros in the section. In the section, yeah. So it's obviously some pretty high level guys. So yeah. Yeah. Is, is a big I mean, deal. yeah, we've got uh Tyler Hall is is the stud. You know, he's he's been our player of the year the last few years and um you know we've got Pat Fillion who's at Echo Lake who's a baller. Uh Grant Surgeon at Ricola who's a stud. Mm-hmm you know, Grant's played in, uh, Grant's won the Met Open, which is a huge deal. Tyler's won the Met Open too. You know, I think Grant's played in like four or five PJ championships. So what? Like, it's big. So most people that are casual golf fans see the, like, you know, majors on TV. Um, so you're a guy at the, at the, at the PGA pro level who can, you know, win that tournament. What's the difference between you and an average tour player? Like, is it leaps um, and bounds? Is it distance is it putting or what's the difference they manage their game well i would no they they manage their mistakes no how do i want to say this um everybody makes mistakes on the golf course right but theirs are more manageable than mine right so if i hit a drive if i hit a poor drive i might hit a poor drive out of play that cost me two shots yeah their poor drive is in the rough got it right so um you know, and, and their their wedge game is a little bit better than mine, and they're you know they're a little better putting uh, putting from you know say inside fifteen and twenty feet that type of stuff. Um, kind of the stuff that takes you from a you know mid range or higher higher level club pro to you know a tour player. Got it. And then the guys that are 
the elite tour pros, I mean, they do all the stuff that the average guys do, but they also hit it freaking a mile. A yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. the whole name of the game now is distance. How far can you hit it? Doesn't even have to be straight. You just got to make sure that you keep it in play and hit it as far as you can. Right. And that's – I read it was, what was a Golf Digest they were talking about. I don't remember who it was, a middle-of-the-road tour player. And they're like, what's the difference? And he's like, I will never hit the ball as far as Rory. That's the problem. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's 20, 30 more yards off the tee than I am. Yeah, I mean, uh, there was a – there was a stat, I think somebody did it on Instagram I saw, but there was uh, it was like the the average distance of a tour player. So if you were uh, the average money that they made for the year, mm-hmm. right? So if you averaged over 310 yards, the average player that did that made $3.5 million. Mm-hmm. If you were from like 295 to 309, you made like $1.2 million. Mm. And then if you were under, you know, 294 yards and less, it was like 600000 Wow. You know, so if you don't hit it over 300 and then especially 310 plus, I mean, you're getting lapped. Right. By everybody. Let's talk about, you know, the average amateur golfer. What do you see if, you know, and again, this is such a general question, but the guy that shoots mid-90s, what will get him to high 80s, like in general? Putting. Putting. Number one. Putting. Number one, yeah. Okay. Everybody comes in and they say, you know, I say one of the first things I ask is, you know, what do you shoot on average? And they say, oh, 96. I say, well, what do you want to shoot? They say, I want to break 90 consistently. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay. And then I say, how do you feel like we're going to make that happen? And they say, oh, well, I need to be more consistent with my iron play and this and that. And I say, okay, how many putts do you usually have? <laughs> how many three putts? They're like, oh, I have eight three putts around. I'm like, well, guess what? If you shoot 96 and you get rid of all your three putts, you just shot 88. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's really not not that it's not that hard, but putting is the most, I think, skillful part of the, of, of the game. And it can be one of the harder things to, to become good at. Yeah. But it's the most necessary. Right, right, right. You know, it's, you know, tour players, putting now is – you know, the guys that are the longest drivers or the guys that are making the most money, they're not necessarily the best putters. But if you can be adequate in putting, right? Would you say the same thing if you are a high 80s to get to into the low 80s? Is it still putting or now you start to change? Typically, yeah, because, uh, well, I guess I, it kind of depends on how it is that you work and what it is you work on. You know, so if you're the guy that's the mid-90s guy and you grind your ass off on your putting and you go from... 43 to 44 putts around to now you're at 37, 38, mm-hmm. you know, you're probably not going to go from 37 to 38 putts to 32 putts. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So then I would look at two areas. What do you do around the greens when you miss the green? Right. So are you able to actually skillfully get the ball onto the green and within a distance that is potentially makeable? Yeah. And then are you able to keep it in play off the tee? Right. Right, so if you can't keep it in, if you can't keep it in play off the tee, you're not going to putt a ball out of bounds. Right, and I've never seen that happen. <laughs> okay, but you can maybe hit a ball Hannah, out of bounds. Hannah, you H- might Hannah maybe punt the ball out of bounds. <laughs> right, so uh, once the putting is taken care of, we look at the chipping, pitching, stuff like that around the greens to see if you can at least get it on the green and you know within a serviceable distance. Yes. Then it's what do you do off the tee? Right, right? if you can't find a if you can't find the earth to save your life, then you go there. Right. So right. that guy that's probably the 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 mid 
you know, mid to high 80s guy that's looking to get into the low 80s or even, you know, maybe break 80 every once in a while. Yeah. That guy's going to first make sure that he takes care of his putting, make sure that he can get a chip or a pitch within the vicinity of the hole, mm -hmm. and then he's got to make sure he can get off the tee. Right. Yeah. So if he can do those other things, if he can do those three things, the iron play stuff is far less, I wouldn't say far less important, but it's it takes a lot of pressure off. Right. Right. And then when you have parts of your game that are really good, it takes a lot of pressure off the other parts. Right. Is it common? I've always felt that, you know, I didn't grow I haven't played a ton of golf. Um, but even when I went out and played without a ton of golf, I always felt that my eight, nine pitch, very comfortable, even if I hadn't swung them in a while. But the higher, longer clubs, it was like, holy shit. Like, I don't know what's about to happen. Is that normal? Uh, yeah. Because shorter clubs are just easier to hit. Whether you got weird shit that you do or not, right? The shorter clubs are always going to be easier. The yeah. driver is going to be the hardest because the thing's on a tee and you have to hit it completely differently than you hit an iron. Yes. You know, so if somebody has struggles with a driver, you know, if you take some time off and come back to it, you're still going to struggle. Yep. You know, but, um, you know, most anybody can pick up an eight iron or a nine iron or a pitching wedge after some time away and, and, you know, fashion something together to, to hit a golf ball. Yeah. But because the clubs do get longer, there's less loft on them as well. And then the longest club, the driver is already off of a tee and you, you have to hit up on a driver versus hit down Yes. to, to kind of maximize what you do. So, um, yeah, the longer stuff is definitely harder. Right. That's pretty common. Yeah. Very common. What are the most common things that you see? I mean, I see I've I've watched you teach a bunch of times and we laugh that it's usually the same three or four things, but if someone's on their own and trying to figure out their swing, what are the three or four things they should pay attention to? Um first thing would be body pivot, how your body's moving. So as you rotate in your backswing. As you rotate in the backswing. So I as I've learned more and more and more about, you know, everything within the golf swing i'm a big believer that the backswing is going to set up your downswing mm -hmm. and then the downswing is a bit of a chain reaction to the backswing so if my backswing is in good positions my downswing is typically going to react the way that we want it to mm -hmm. or or very similar to what we would want to see if the backswing is jacked up right you're going to have to do some crazy shit on the downswing to try to fix it so um first thing i tell people to look at is uh well, kind of one and one A. One would be club face. Club face tells the, the story for everything, mm -hmm. right? So if my club face position is off, I mean, I could have the most perfect, beautiful, technical golf swing in the world, but if my club face is off, it don't freaking matter. I'll still hit it like shit. Yep. Um, and then two from there, um, body pivot, right? Making sure that the body is rotating in a fashion that allows the club to get into the positions that you would need to, to, uh, to shallow the club on the downswing and to, to get the body to rotate and on the downswing and to get into a nice impact position and, and all that good stuff. For those out there that think about golf as like, kind of like the unathletic sport, um, do you have trouble teaching guys that come in that don't have mobility, aren't very strong? Is it is it a challenge when they can't get in the positions you want? Um, it's a challenge for them. It's not a challenge for me in the sense that I welcome it. I like I kind I enjoy it in the sense that I have to come up with a different way to figure out how I'm going to get this guy to go mm -hmm. to to move. Yeah. Right. I could I could have, you know. 
I could have 10 kids that come in that are like Gumby and I can get them to do whatever I want them to do. Yep. But then, you know, the guy in corporate America that sits in his office all day, you know, he might not have the, the hip flexibility or the, uh, you know, he might thoracic. have a bad back or the thoracic, you know, whatever it is. Right. Yeah. So, uh, those guys are fun for me too, because I've got to figure out what verbal cue I can give. Typically, I'll work through six or seven different scenarios within a lesson. Like, people walk away and they're like, dude, you talked about so much. It's so technical. Yeah. I actually didn't. We talked about one thing, and then I talked about six different ways to get you there. Yeah. And what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to filter through those six different things that get you to move the way that you're actually able to go. It's so funny you say that. And one of the reasons why I love watching you teach and why I started watching George was because so much of what he talks about relates to what we do every day, correcting people's movement. But what I tell people very early on when I start working on core position and all stuff, I said, listen, I know this sounds like a lot, but I'm actually teaching you one thing. And then we just have to figure out how to incorporate it into six or seven other things. Yeah, so it actually yeah. isn't a lot of stuff, but it feels like it is. Yeah. People, you know, I, I think what, what happens is people will walk away from a session, they'll be like, I did, I can't remember what I did because we did so much. But if we really break it down and look at it, I mean, in, in a lesson that I, in an hour lesson, you're going to get probably five or six different things, but they're all pertaining to the same subject. Mm -hmm. Whether it's the pivot, whether it's arm structure, whether it's club face angle, whether it's wrist angles, whatever it is, right? I'm just trying to figure out what what verbal cue I can give you and then what feel you can create to make it happen on your own. Mm -hmm. Got it. And if somebody can understand that and can walk away with that feel and that understanding that there's a feel that we're trying to create, um, then typically they're they're okay. All right, some random questions. What's mm -hmm. your favorite course you've ever played? Ooh. Tokyo Golf Club because they have two greens on every hole. Really? Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah, very cool. What were you doing out there? So I played in, uh, uh, it was USA versus Japan. It was the Fuji Xerox USA versus Japan collegiate matches. Okay. <laughs> yeah, big name. Yeah. In 2008. So they took uh, four men, four D1 guys, uh -huh. uh, two Division two guys, an NAIA and a Division three. I was a Division three guy. That's so cool. And then we had four D1 girls. Uh-huh. So we played, so the 12 of us played, I think that number adds up, right? So the 12 of us played the 12 Japanese team members. Yep. And uh, we played Tokyo Golf Club. We were there for a week, and it was awesome. How cool is that? So cool. How did you play compared to some of the D1, D2 guys? Uh, so uh, let's see. We, we had three tournament rounds. I shot uh, – so it, they were stroke play matches. So mm -hmm. the first two matches, you play with a teammate, and then the last one was a singles. Mm -hmm. So um, – I shot 72 in round one. My partner shot 69, and we got destroyed. <laughs> the guys we played shot 68, 67, I think. Then the second match, um, my partner shot, I think he shot 71, and I played like shit. I played, I shot 77, and we got destroyed again. And then my last round, uh, I shot 68 and beat up on the um, – I ended up beating their – collegiate their japanese collegiate champion that's great um he didn't play good that day but uh but we as a team we ended up winning which is kind of cool yeah you know? that's so, very cool but it's pretty neat i mean of the um of the guys that i went with actually three of the four girls play on tour 
One of them's one. Of the guys, uh, let's see. Actually, I'm the only guy that went into the, like the golf side of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them won the U.S. Mid-Am last year, Kevin Chapel. Wow. I'm not, I'm not Kevin Chapel. Uh, oh my God, his name is blanking me right now. Shit. But he won the U.S. Mid-Am last year. Okay. Um, then uh, we had another guy who's won on tour. Another guy who uh, has been on tour for like five or six years. Um, yeah, I mean, they've all, another guy that's one on the web.com, you know, so yeah, I mean, it was, it it was pretty cool to kind of see those guys and how, and girls really too. I mean, the girls were insanely good. Yes. Um, but to see kind of how they work, Yeah. you know, and and I could definitely see that they worked differently than I worked. Okay. You know, when we're in practice rounds and, and, uh, you know, warming up prior to playing and kind of their whole process. It was a good learning experience for me. It sucked that I was a senior and I was mm-hmm. done. Yeah. You know, it was my yeah. last collegiate event that I played in, but um, it was kind of neat to see how, how they ran things. And, and I was actually the oldest, so I was a senior. Everybody else was either a freshman or sophomore. Wow. So on the, on the men's and women's side. So it's kind of neat because the younger crowd got selected for this, and then the older crowd got like the – you know, the Curtis Cup and the Palmer Cup mm-hmm. and, like, those bigger uh, collegiate tournament or amateur tournament-type team events. What's your course you most want to play that you haven't? Augusta. Think it'll ever happen? I hope so. <laughs> so I was, uh, I guess, fun fact, I was born on April 14th in 85, final round of the Masters, Bernard Longer won. My dad would name me Bernhard. My mom's like, you're freaking nuts. <laughs> so... Um, you know, so every year my birthday kind of falls right around uh, the Masters. So yeah. it's always – that has always had, like, a near and dear place in my heart. Yeah. And it's always – that's the – if anybody's out there and they they remember, like, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's the only place. Yeah, that's, that's the it. place you want to go. Yeah. Got it. Okay. So, What's a favorite club in your bag? Ooh, good question. Um, probably my driver. Yeah. I've worked on I've worked on that club more in the last probably three years, just in terms of hitting, figuring out a shot shape that I can hit every single time. Because mm-hmm. that that at my level, that's the big thing. I got to have a shot that I can hit every single time off the tee, no mm-hmm. matter what. Yeah. Um, I had to work on some club face stuff to make sure that I was able to do that. And uh, now it's it's probably the best part of my game. It's the best asset in my game. Whereas. Three and four years ago, it was the worst. I had no idea where it was going. Really? No idea. Zero. It's amazing to, to think about the scores you shot and to think you don't know where it would, that would, it would go. It was all timing. Yeah. Like the, the days where, or say the, the, the days where I had good practice sessions prior to the actual tournament. Yeah. I had good feels going into the tournament and then I could make it happen. You know, but now it's, you know, I could go weeks without touching a club or, or months really and I could pick it up and still do the same thing because my, my technique is that much better. What's your favorite golf win you've ever had? Ooh. Um, in college, well, I guess I – that's a good question. Um, in college, we always played a tournament at uh, in Jekyll Island. At uh, uh, they, they have uh, two courses down there, the Oleander and – I can't remember the other one. We never played it. But so uh, my junior year in college – I had 
I shot like 68, 70, I think the first two rounds. And I had like a, I mean, I probably had like a five shot lead with five holes to play. Mm -hmm. And I go, I went uh, bogey, bogey, par, bogey, bogey, par, par, bogey to finish. Mm -hmm. And the guy I'm playing against goes birdie, par, birdie, par, birdie, and like nips me by a shot. And so that one stung. And then the next year I come back from my senior year and I think I shot 68, 71, 70, something like that. And I think I went by like four or five. Nice. That's so it was, yeah, that, that's probably the one that I remember the most just because it, um, cause like that was always my favorite tournament being at Jekyll Island. Like it was spring break. It was, the weather was always good. Like the weather finally turns a corner, you know, we're in shorts finally cause the weather's nice and, mm -hmm. You know the the golf course is set up to my eye, mm -hmm. and to to want to win that off you know every time I was there, and then to have a really good chance one year, and then to to lose it, and then come back and and get it the next year was, yeah, I, I remember that one. Yeah. Do you have another memory, maybe that either wasn't a win, but your favorite golf memory? Um, favorite golf memory. Um, I remember playing uh this parent child with my dad and i used to i used to be a hothead when i was a kid like <laughs> throwing clubs not th uh i mean i probably did throw a club <laughs> or two or two and, and you know i'm like 13 and cursing up a storm and stuff like that and i'll never forget we were playing in this parent child and um like i was in a mood like i was just pissed i was not playing good my dad was holding me together and um I hit this one shot on the 13th hole at Ironwood Golf Course. This little, not a muni, not a little muni, but a public course back home. Mm -hmm. And I hit this thing miles right on this par three. I mean, it was almost in this shit. It was, it was a terrible lie. I remember seeing my dad grind his ass off, and he hits this pitch shot over this bunker, lands on the green soft, rolls up to the hole, and falls in. Wow. I'm like, holy shit! And for some reason, like then, right there, like that moment was just like. I'm such a little douche. Like I need to stop being a douche because you never know what's going to happen. Yeah. You know, and uh, like that moment has always stuck, stuck in my head. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, tell me about where we can find you if people are listening and they maybe want to get a lesson or what, what you got going on now. Um, so you can find me on Instagram at, at Nick Bova golf. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can DM me there, or I also have a, a link through there. You can actually get my cell phone or my email. Mm -hmm. uh, you could find me on nickbovagolf.com. Uh, it's uh, there's just some basic information, kind of as to what I what I do, and and a little bit on my background and where you can contact me as well. Uh, you could also contact me. Uh, I have a business page, Nick Bova Golf, on Facebook, mm -hmm. uh, Nick Bova on LinkedIn, or um, I mean, hell, you can shoot me an email too. Um, I remember I asked you this. Number one, you work at Hamilton Farm, but you mm -hmm. don't need to be a member there to take a lesson with you. Correct, correct. I get that question a lot, actually. So, um, probably seventy percent of my my lessons are non-members. Got it. So it's a it's a high percentage. So yeah, if 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 you're a non-member, you don't have to worry. Yeah. Um, we'll let you through the gate. That's right. <laughs> and then the other part about your lessons that I'd want people to understand too is, and it's kind of what we try to do here. It's that as much as it is about the hour that you're with them, it's really not. And I hope I'm not 
promoting something that you don't want to be doing. But I mean, everyone that comes in when they're done with their lesson, it's, hey, when you start to practice and take this with you, take some videos, send it to me. And I've done this with you almost every yep. time. And yep. you'll give me the next step. So yeah. um, the best compliment I, I, what I want people to say about me is I'm not cheap, but I'm really good. And yeah. your lessons aren't cheap, but, but it's really good because yeah. it's not just the hour. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Yeah, it's, I look at it as more like, yeah, you're going to pay $200 for an hour, yeah. right? But I'm also giving you the time outside of that to where I offer for people to send me a down the line video and a face on. And, you know, I'll, I get a lot of them a day, but I'll get to it and yes. I'll get back to you, you know? So I offer because I want to. Yes. Because I don't want, I don't want my players to, um, I don't want my players to get to a certain point and feel like they're stuck mm -hmm. or I don't want them to misconstrue the information that we talked about. And then they have a question and then they don't, they don't ask. Right. Like there's so many times I've had people say, you know, I just felt weird texting you. I'm like, I offered it. Yes. If I offer it, do it. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I give you my phone number for a reason. So, um, yeah, no, I, it's, it's, it's a big part of it. It's, it's more of the coaching model. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll hit you when you come but I'm also going to give you some love when you're not. Well, uh, you can ask Hannah. We talk about in our team meetings, cost versus value. And yeah. I went to get a lesson with someone else before I saw you, which was significantly cheaper. And after I saw you for the first time, I said to myself, I wasted more money going to the first place. That was a quarter of the price Yeah, because I didn't get anything out of it. Right? Yeah. And so at the end of the day, who the hell cares? Yeah. Know? Yeah. It's your, it's your time and your money. You yeah. know, like the way I look at it is if somebody's going to come and spend $200 for an hour with me, I'm going to give you everything I can in an hour. Yeah. Right. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to skip you on time. I'm not going to skip you on the effort. Like it's, it's going to be there. Mm -hmm. Um, so if I'm going to bring it, I expect you to bring it too. And then the other part too is the, your Instagram. The reason why you have so many followers because the amount of content that you're putting out there, um, what I find is things that I'm working on. I find it in the videos that you're teaching other people. And so I can usually watch you go through it with someone else and say, oh, okay, that's a different maybe way to say it or a different feel. So there's a lot of ways to learn that don't involve just the one hour. Yeah, yeah. It's um, Instagram is great for filtering out information, you know, and, and, um, you know, I, I remember going through, this is probably a couple of months ago. I went through like 10 different posts consecutively where I'm talking about the same thing, but doing it differently. Mm -hmm. And I sat back and I thought about it. I'm like, God, like literally I just keep doing the same thing over and over and over. But then I look back at each one and I'm like, okay, well, there's something different about this. There's something different about this. There's something different about this that might actually continue to pertain to somebody else. Yeah. Right. That might, you know, the way I say one thing on how I want somebody to pivot might not connect with Justin, but it could connect with Hannah. Sure. You know what I mean? So, um, so I, I think, you know, when I look back at it, like those, those, I think it was actually like nine posts. I think those nine posts are actually some of like the best stuff I've done. Yeah. Just because it's, um, I'm, tr I'm, I'm, I'm trying to hit like a, a wider range of people. Right. You know, exactly. So yeah. it's, it's that, I mean, Instagram's a beautiful thing. It's a good, it's a good thing. It's good. Got a good thing going there. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so at Nick Bova golf guys, if mm -hmm. you want more information, they can, first of all, like your page. Is that what you do now? Subscribe, like, follow, follow, follow. follow. Yeah. <laughs> Show my age. Uh, and then, uh, follow Nick. And if you want more information or want to take a lesson, you're writing P pack at Hamilton farm, mm -hmm. um, which is a cool place to go over. And so, 
Nick, we appreciate you being on. Thank you, Justin. I appreciate yeah. it, man. And we'll we'll talk soon. Awesome. Thank you, man. Yep. Thank you for tuning in to the Stay Healthy New Jersey podcast, brought to you by Strive to Move. If your pain or injury is preventing you from living the healthy and active lifestyle you love and deserve, and want to get back to doing what you love pain-free, we offer both a free ebook and free over-the-phone consultation to help you figure out the root cause of your pain and the best next steps to help resolve it. Find our ebooks online at strivetomove.com/ourservices. There you'll find an ebook for topics on such things as back pain, knee pain, sports injuries, and CrossFit injuries. These ebooks will provide you with free expert advice, tips, and exercises to help solve your pain from the comfort of your own home. Just visit strivetomove.com slash our services to download your ebook and have it delivered directly to your inbox. We also offer free, no obligation phone consults with a doctor on staff to New Jersey residents. Just call us at 908-547-0729 or visit us at strivetomove.com and click the talk to the doctor first button on the homepage to schedule a call with us. Thanks again for joining us and we will see you next time on the Stay Healthy New Jersey podcast.